Can we talk about MasterChef? Yeah, right. Go on. What did you think about the guy that just served the blood from the bag that he'd sous vide the steaks in as the gravy? Oh, I haven't seen that. Oh, <laughs> sorry to spoil it. But yeah, he... Um, they, he didn't reduce it? No. Greg and John asked him what sauce he was serving with his steak. And he said, oh, just the, the juice that comes out in the bag when you put it in the water bath. <laughs> and they were like, so just the just the blood then? He's like, yeah, it works really well. Trust me. <laughs> okay. And you can let me know, did they like it or not? They did not. That was when he was, they were, yeah, he was cooking for the previous winners, the chef's oh, really? table one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've served it with blood. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting that. I actually had a semi-successful blog of 2015, the year that uh, Simon Woods won. Uh, the only issue was is that people who were competing in it started following me. Oh, and, no way. Yeah, contacting me on Twitter and stuff. So I felt really bad. Like Aww. I had to, I wanted it to be a little bit more like outrageously critical. Yeah. As, as a joke. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. If yeah. you're going to go on a television to cook. Yeah. Better make sure you're a good cook. <laughs> yeah. So then it kind of, I, I sort of tempered it and it was bloody hard work. Oh, it sounds like fun though. Because I, I used like to cut a watching. highlights thing as well. BBC Amazing. didn't stop me from doing that. And that took ages with like a bit of a voiceover yeah. and stuff. But my blogging days are over. It's time for podcasting. Hey, I'm Foz. And I'm Becca. And this is a podcast where two friends gather on the sofa to talk about things that people don't really talk about that much. Welcome to Under the Rug. Hello, Becca. Hi, Foz. Episode nine now. No, ten. Ten. It's the tenth <laughs> anniversary special. And, <laughs> Is it? Uh, to, yes, to mark this occasion, we've decided to talk about something really, really cheery. Uh-huh. Depression and anxiety. Yes. Which is a whole lot of fun. Isn't it just? We've all we've both had experiences of depression and anxiety, continuing, arguably, definitely for me. But I think we probably disagree on, I don't know, how we view it. Is that fair to say? Potentially, yes. Potentially. So like, we're going to get into that. It's going to be good fun. We're not psychiatrists. We're not counsellors. We're not doctors. Um, and so we're going to try and stick firmly to our kind of our personal experiences and um, not sort of... Uh, dishing out advice. Yeah, not dishing out advice, not trying to preach that any one way is, you know, any one response or any one way of thinking about it is right or wrong. Just, mm. yeah. Obviously, mental health is in the public realm lots of people lots of famous people have spoken about it but it, the weird thing is is that as two people who talk about feelings all the time and uh, <laughs> overwoke snowflakes we've not really had an in-depth conversation about depression and anxiety what it means how it manifests itself what the triggers are how we deal with it before have we we've talked about it a bit but you're right we haven't talked about it in any great detail or in any kind of like deep and meaningful late night with the wine type thing yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to get into that, but just with coffee instead of wine. Yeah. Um, anything you want to plug before we get started? Oh, yes. We have this episode and then two more before we take a little little break. And um, the last episode, we would love to hear from you, our loyal listeners, um, about weird habits. Any weird habits that you have, maybe you've developed them over lockdown, a year of not really seeing anybody if you're in the UK. Um, or maybe you had them before. We would love to hear about your weird habits. Yeah, there are two ways that you can do it. You can either go to the show notes and follow the link to where it says leave a voice message and you'll be able to do that. 
or you can send us an email under the rug at wearepositivelycreative.com. That's it. Get in contact. Please do that. Because otherwise we won't have anything to speak yeah, about. Yeah, exactly. It'll just be us. Cushion corner. Where are the cushions? They're all in the corner. Emma put them there. Where do we go to sit on a cushion? Over in the corner. Let's talk about our feelings. Did you like the jingle, by the way, for Cushion Corner? What, my singing? Your singing. <laughs> and then and you the, put some the music, music behind. Yeah. I mean, what happened when you put the music behind is that you made it sound like more effort had gone into it when I was making it up than actually had. So in some ways it made it sound... To my mind, worse. Okay, well, because, that's because good, was... we're going to stick with that. <laughs> How are you feeling? Tell me about your feelings. Feelings, yeah. No, I didn't have the best week. It's all right, you know. I guess this is what we're going to be talking about, isn't it? Uh, so, yeah, some weeks are better than others. You know, I try to take the situation and try and see it as it is what it is. I'm feeling not so great. Uh, I'm feeling happy. I'm feeling whatever else. And, yeah, and remember... Uh, that that these these things will pass in their own time, and it's a necessary uh, thing. It's 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 life giving me what I need to to evolve. It's not some bloke in the sky or the universe. It's just that's a situation. That is what it is, and it's a necessary situation to go through at that particular time. Uh, but it's all good, you know. I'm still here. What did, <laughs> what did you do? How did you respond to your week not being very great? I uh, just sat with the feelings. That's all I can ever really do, really. Uh, it's some, you know, some people like to shut things away, don't they? Which is fine. I'm not really one of those people. I kind of, I, I feel it's a gift, I think, to have a measure of, this is going to sound really shit, uh, but, a, but a measure of uh, self-awareness, I guess, in, not in terms of like how you carry yourself at a cocktail party, but awareness in how you're feeling. And, uh, and you know, some people say, oh God, I prefer not to feel a thing and just like numb my way through life rather than to feel shit. I'd prefer to feel shit, to be honest, because then at least it's like, I know. And for me, and this is obviously a personal thing, I feel like it's my body trying to communicate with me. If there's something I'm, it's uncomfortable, yeah, it's my body trying to tell me that something is awry. And it doesn't necessarily need to be fixed. It's just something I just need to sit with for a bit, mm-hmm. do some processing. A bit like, you know how your computer does an update? Yeah. Like that. Yeah. The clocks, didn't they? They went forward, didn't they? Bastard in clocks. No, <laughs> went good. forward the night that we decided to stay up and drink wine and talk. And then you get home and you think, it's half past midnight. That's fairly acceptable. And then by the time you've done your teeth and washed your face and faffed a bit, you get into bed and it's 2am. No. But uh, it's now the start of British summertime. Huzzah. So we should all be happy. Huzzah. Yes. All right. No. <laughs> it's time for the stat attack. Right, now you've got some stats from Mind. Which is a UK-based mental health charity. Yes, it is. Um, In England, every year, one in four people will experience some kind of mental health problem. Um, And in in any given week, one in six people report experiencing a common mental health problem. And then if we're looking specifically at anxiety and depression, in any given week in England, eight in a hundred people will be diagnosed with mixed anxiety and depression six in a hundred with generalized anxiety disorder and then depression three in a hundred people. So yeah, so so it's actually relatively common but to have these kinds of diagnoses. I think the thing that we maybe discovered a bit through our pre-chat was that depression is actually quite a big bucket, right? And there are lots of different experiences and lots of different things that fit under that umbrella term. So yeah, a lot it's of interesting. juice to squeeze. A lot of juice to squeeze. We can't we can't possibly attempt to squeeze it all. 
<laughs> and neither should we. But we can speak about our own journeys with it, you know, and maybe this will help you have a conversation with somebody else about it or I don't know, up to you whether you find it helpful or not, and that, I guess. Um, <laughs> first question for me, Becca, for you is how do you know if you're depressed and, and, and if there is a, a period in your life where you could say, oh, look, I was depressed at this bit. How do you, do you know you were depressed then? And did you know then, or is this something that you've come to realize afterwards? Yes, I think I was depressed for the majority of my teenage years and into my 20s. And I think I only realized that that was the case probably just after I'd left uni. I think for a long time, I thought I was just responding to things around me. Like I think um, there was always something to blame for feeling rubbish. And I can remember searching for things to blame to feel, to explain why I was feeling rubbish. You needed um, an explanation. Yes. I don't think I was necessarily conscious of that at the, at the time, but I would always say, oh, well, this has happened or, you know, this has happened at home or this is happening in, in my social life or this is happening with work or uni or whatever it was. So there was always a reason. I, I tried a few different things. I've, I've had phases where I've had talking therapy, just sort of fairly open counselling. Was this at the time or was this later? Uh, so I had, so I, I on, on and off. So I, I had my first bout of counselling when I think I was about 22. And then again, when I was about 25, 26. But yeah. And those were sort of attempts to get to a happy place. But again, I think I was possibly focusing on the wrong thing. So by, by the time when you were looking, when you were getting into the counselling, the talking therapy, you then realised that you, there was an unhappiness there. There was something that wasn't quite right. So I, I went through um, a year where I left my job. I broke up with my boyfriend and I went travelling. I was really struggling. I was really unhappy. And that led me to making those decisions. Whilst I was really unhappy before I had made those decisions, I started antidepressants. And the combination of changing certain circumstances and being on antidepressants made me realize, oh, I have felt depressed. Like the antidepressants gave me a sense of stability and contentedness that I had never felt before in my life. And I think, I think it was honestly only when I started feeling better that I was like, oh, that whole way of being is not just me. It's not just who I am. It is being depressed. And I don't have to be depressed. And I think it was kind of, yeah, I think it was kind of revolutionary. I was, I was trying to figure out how to describe how the antidepressants made me feel. And I think bef to, it, it, the way I imagine it in my mind is beforehand, I felt like there was like a bottomless black pit inside me. Um, and the antidepressants kind of filled up the, filled up the pit and, and made it so that I was responding. My emotions were responses to things that were happening outside of me rather than like a deep pit of, <laughs> of misery that was inside of me, if that makes sense. Mm. What was it that you were feeling that made you think, oh, I need to either go, I need to sort something out. What were you feeling? I was not responding well to stress and I was getting upset very, very easily. Disproportionate emotional responses, I think, more so than I'd ever had before in my life. But again, once I was on the medication, it made me realise that the whole of my life, pretty much that I could remember, I felt kind of wretched. I felt kind of like things were terrible. Things would always be terrible. I was terrible. I would find the worst thing about a situation and kind of ruminate on it and make it bigger than it was. I would definitely have days where I couldn't really get out of bed. 
but I didn't necessarily, again, at that point, point to that and say, that's being depressed. I think I would have pointed to something that was going on and saying, oh, I'm just, you know, upset about X, Y, Z. So yeah, so I think it was kind of the the sense that I had of my life as it was imploding <laughs> that made me go and maybe go and get some some more help. Is this something that you're still dealing with today? Is it something? Is it these sorts of feelings that you're talking about are they familiar uh, today now? I suffer less with being depressed now. I suffer more with anxiety. And again, I think I have probably been anxious for most of my life, but I've only really had an understanding of what anxiety is or had a language around anxiety for probably the last four or five years. And now, how does that differ from depression? So for me, being depressed is days when I I have no energy, I can't get out of bed, I can't make myself be excited about anything. I just, I am, I'm flat and I'm heavy and I feel like, I feel like there's a big weight on top of me and everything is a massive effort. I don't have very many of those days, more often I feel anxiety. And to me, anxiety is, it feels very different. I have, um, I often feel sick, um, either a knot in my stomach or, or, or nausea. And I, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I feel tingly in my, in my chest and in my shoulders and sometimes in my face. I feel like I'm on the edge of tears when I speak to people. And it's, it's hard work to manage interactions. And I spend a lot of my energy trying to make myself sound and appear n- normal so uh, or, or, or um, fine, I guess, should we say. If I'm, if I'm feeling anxious, I notice it most in social situations. Hmm. What's your way of dealing with it in that situation? How do you, you say you do something to make it appear like you're, you're fine? What, what do you do? You know, it'll be a work day, for example, and I'll get on Zoom for my first meeting of the day and I can manage my emotions to a point where, or I can manage myself, my feelings to a point where I'm having a relatively normal interaction with the other person in the meeting and I come off of that and I feel like, okay, I can do this. Sometimes though, I do just have to take a mental health day. I do just have to, I, I, I physically don't have the capacity to manage myself and manage those emotions. And I just have to kind of have a, have a cave day and not really try and make myself do anything, not really talk to anybody. The, the key thing for me, especially during lockdown to help is, is going outside. There are things that, that I do the rest of the time that help, you know, like exercise and seeing friends and things. But in those moments, in those acute anxiety moments, I need to disconnect. And if I can make myself get outside for a walk, that also really helps. You don't always have the opportunity or one doesn't always have the opportunity to uh, to do that. Mm-hmm. Is this something that work are familiar with? Do people know that you're, this is something that you, you deal with from time to time? The relationship with work and mental health is an interesting one because I, <laughs> I'm a really big proponent of the idea that, you know, you have to look after your mental health. If you need to take time to do that, great, fine. But then the stigma of actually taking a mental health day, I still find quite difficult. And I can remember, and my workplace is very understanding and very caring. Even a couple of years ago, I needed to take a mental health day and I messaged my boss to say I was going to be off. And I wrote the message and I, I wrote, I have a migraine. I need to set, cause I also suffer with migraines occasionally. I wrote, I, need, I have a migraine. I won't be online today. And then I looked at it and I deleted it and I wrote, I'm really sorry. I need to take a mental health day. Mm. I can, I can, you know, help with anything urgent, et cetera, but largely will be offline. And it took me about 10 minutes to work up the guts to send it, but I sent it 
So that was, that was fine. But I still felt like, oh my God, <laughs> I've just admitted that I need a mental health day. I'm so weak, mm. which is something I would never say to anybody else, of course. Um, but you know, we're not as nice to ourselves as we are to other people, I think. But you felt it was a sign of weakness. Yeah. Yeah. I think I still have some degree of uh, the idea that you just need to buck up, crack on, you know, stiff up a lip. And whilst I can, I, rationally, I don't think I believe that. I rationally would say mental health is, is important and you need to look after yourself. And sometimes you can't just buck up. I still have that message somewhere inside me. Um, I think probably because of the way I was brought up and, and things that happened when I was a child. So yeah, so that, so that, so I'm sort of warring with that <laughs> in my in myself um, whenever I talk about mental health. It feels like a battle. When, when it means that you're cutting out of commitments like a work day or a social thing, that is definitely a battle that I have. You are someone who doesn't like the the wallowing, shall we say? Is that a nice word to describe it? Whereas I am pro wallow. I'm not anti wallow as a <laughs> yeah. We've got badges, placards. Um, <laughs> I I'm not anti wallow per se. I just know that for me it's unhelpful because my tendency is to wallow, and and that doesn't always mean that I'm processing and progressing through. It means that I get stuck. Um, and I, I know that I have a tendency to overthink and overanalyze and, um, get, get hooked on particular feelings or particular narratives. And I, um, in the last few years have sort of become self-aware in that enough to know sometimes processing feels like wallowing and maybe that's healthy, but Hey, you're wallowing too much or you're stuck on that too much, or you're repeating things over and over in your mind that are not, it's not helpful for you to do this. So just put it away, distract yourself with something else. I, I am totally for the idea that sometimes you just need to feel your feelings and there's no way around but through. I totally, I totally am up for that. But, um, but I just, I know in myself it's a balance. It's a fine line between positive wallowing and negative wallowing, shall we say. Yeah. So the question that pops up in my mind is, number one, is it important to process everything that happens? Because arguably it isn't important. And two, if it is important, how do you know you've gone through that processing if you're not spending time with that? One of the unexpected gifts of going on antidepressants was that I learned what it was to feel sad. I don't think I had felt sad sadness as an emotion until I went on antidepressants because before that it was just probably like pure despair <laughs> like depressed despair everything was dreadful if anything was bad at all and I can still remember the first time I felt sad about something whilst I was on antidepressants and I was like oh I'm fine you know my boat hasn't been rocked like I'm okay and also I feel sad about this other thing that has happened and that was really instructive for me in, in that kind of self-awareness. When is it? When are you processing? When are you not? This week I was on the phone to a friend uh, and I was talking about how I'm struggling at the moment with um, the fact that, as everybody is, that it, we've been locked down for a year and I feel like I haven't you know, made any progress in my personal life. And my friend said, are you, are you okay? Like, is this a mental health dip or are you just kind of sad about that? And I thought about it and I thought that was a really helpful and interesting question. And I was aware enough to say, no, I'm, it, it's not a mental health dip just yet. I am just sad about this, this thing. Because I think I'm aware when I'm going into a dip because it's things like not wanting to go out, not wanting to, not having the energy to 
get up and switch my laptop on for work for eat comfort eating that kind of thing like i i i i have a few things in my mind where i know you're tipping into a mental health dip take extra care of yourself um versus you're just feeling sad about this thing that's kind of hard so to to answer your question about processing i am acutely aware of my feelings and my inner workings like i'm i'm very familiar with like the darker sides of myself. And I think... What do they look like, the darker sides? What, what something, something you're scared of? No, it's more about shame for me. Got more on that? The personality type that I think I have is one that is comfortable with melancholy, is comfortable with dark things, with difficult things, is, is perfectly fine to sit with emotions that are, that are negative. You know, more of an Eeyore than a, than a Tigger. Um, Just explain that for anyone who <laughs> doesn't know what you're talking about. I mean, who hasn't watched Winnie the Pooh? Come on. So Eeyore, Eeyore is the is the pessimistic, the like the poor grey donkey who just always sees the negative things. What Whereas, a legend. Yeah, exactly. It's my tribe right there. Um, and then Tigger is the bouncy, like can't stop moving tiger who's like, everything's great. Everything's so exciting. And also I, a legend. Also a legend, yeah. Not me though. That's, that's the thing. Like I am, I am not a tigger and I never will be. And that's okay. When I think about the darker areas is, is, yeah, is, is more shame. Like I get, I get trapped in cycles of shame of, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I should have done this. And so then, these dark areas that you're talking about are what you might consider negative behavioral symptoms as in the, you know, attacking yourself for feeling a certain way. Yes. And maybe eating a little bit more unhealthy not going out for exercise, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So that's something you definitely want to avoid going into that place because it then may trigger some of these other behavioural symptoms. There's a distinction here. So I am comfortable with melancholy and negative feelings, but I still will tip over into things that are unhealthy. And that's where, the, yeah, the shame comes in and the, and the negativity in terms of not looking after myself, et cetera, comes in. And that's what I'm trying to avoid. So I'm happy in, in kind of like dark grey, <laughs> but trying not to tip into... Mm, yeah for me yeah it's a, it's a necessary evil sometimes and i i'm i'm actually very uncomfortable being in in a dark spot but actually uh, i'm okay with it kind of thing uh, but i don't necessarily get some of those negative behavioral symptoms that you that you've spoken about just mm. there and i think it's taken a little while to feel that way and uh yeah feel feel okay with it and and be upfront with other people it, 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 you said that you're quite open with it, with other people. There's nothing that you feel like you have to hide from anybody. I am growing increasingly comfortable talking about it. It's not easy necessarily, and I'm not super open all of the time. It's easy to have that conversation with people who've also been through it and are also kind of managing their own mental health. Um, it's slightly harder to have that conversation with people who maybe have not experienced a prolonged mental health issue. Not because they don't want to understand, but because it's, it's, it's a very different thing to just sort of the ups and downs of daily emotions, I think. Some people have uh, mental health dips like we both have. Some people just sort of sail through like everything's okay. So is it, is it a trauma or is it personality type? Is it the environment in which you're brought up in? What kind of things do you think have played a part in your journey? I think it's more helpful to think about mental health as something that is ongoing and that you need to manage in the same way that you manage your physical health, you know, with diet and exercise or, or whatever. So I think it's it's something that affects everybody, but you're right to different to different extents. And I just grew up in a very difficult home and my mum was always 
I think scared quite a lot and maybe desperate and probably depressed. Um, and I think that rubbed off my baseline assumption is things are terrible and always will be terrible. And probably somehow it's my fault. And I think that's the thing that then translated into being depressed when I was a bit older, teenagers in my twenties. So I think that's the thing that's taken work for me. And that's where things like CBT have been really helpful because they help me challenge that baseline assumption and help me reframe my thinking. And that's what I've needed. Something Um, you have control over. So despite all of these things happening, you still have control to manage your destiny. (laughs) (laughs) Or at least manage my, not necessarily manage my thoughts, but acknowledge that I am not my thoughts. You know, it's the, the, the sort of classic mindfulness meditation thing of, you are not your thoughts, you are not your feelings. This is the other thing that comes up with my personality type is that um, for a lot of- Just to clarify, when we're talking about personality type, we're talking about the Enneagram. I know, and I'm sorry, because it comes up a lot because it's it's really helped me shape how I think about myself. And it's really helped me make progress in terms of my mental health and my self-esteem. But I know that it's kind of like a weird niche (laughs) personality tool that not everyone- loves or not everyone is familiar with should we say okay then uh countdown style i'm going to give you 30 seconds to give us a a lift pitch of what the enneagram is it's the idea that there are nine sort of basic types of personality except that the, the the personalities are structures that you have um somehow kind of created to keep yourself safe so ultimately, there are as many personality types as there are people. You know, the, it, it's the belief that, that you are an individual, but you've created, you, you've, you've, you've put on this outfit of your personality to help keep you safe. And there are nine types. Um, Time's run out on that one, Becca. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're type it's four. Really helpful. I'm type four. And a brief description of what type four is? Eeyores. <laughs> Depressed. Depressed, yeah. Melancholy. Angry at everything. Melancholy, like comfortable with the dark side of, of human nature. The thing that really I identify with is the idea that there's something fundamentally, fours think there's something fundamentally wrong with them, fundamentally broken. They will never be as happy as other people. It's the idea of like you're, you're outside the window, like nose pressed up against the glass looking in at the party and you don't know how to get into it. Because this is something that's actually helped you, yeah, fully. you feel. Because some people may say hear that and then say well hold on a minute now that you know you're this type you're going to live that it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy well so that's why i said the thing about the personalities being the structures that you have to move beyond in in the enneagram paradigm because the thing that helped me was when i first heard that and realized that that's what i was i was really bummed out (laughs) i was really like sad with it for a few months but then you move past that and what it did for me was it said that oh other people feel like this there isn't actually anything wrong or broken about me specifically that is fundamentally going to stop me from living a content life or living a fulfilled life. And that again was a really helpful indicator, a bit like the medication of like, you have thought this, you didn't realize you were thinking it, but you have thought this. Now you've realized that you don't have to think this, you can move beyond it. So I did think for all of my life that there was something fundamentally wrong with me until I heard that. And then I realized, oh, hey, this is a coping mechanism that actually a lot of people have. I can move past it. So you're comfortable just feeling sad? I am actually really grateful when I feel sad because it's a sign that I'm not depressed. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I'm, I'm quite grateful that I'm depressed because like it's, uh, it's a message that, I'm, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm having discourse with myself. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's a good thing because it allows me to understand myself a little bit better. Yeah. So depression is actually quite a good thing. But for you, it sounds like it's productive. Well, not in the short term, uh, but yeah, in the long term. Yeah. 
that's the hope anyway. If not, then uh, I've got the wrong wrong idea. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, de- depression is a, is a necessary thing for me to go through. You came up with an example before we recorded of a train going through a tunnel. So that the tunnel is obviously the dark place, the dark place, and the train is on a journey of life. Uh, and you said you don't want to stop the train in the middle of the tunnel, get off and have a little look around because you get stuck there. Uh, you just want the train to go through the dark place, but continue going through it's on not, a forward trajectory. It's not that that's what I want. It's that that's what I know is helpful for me. I want to wander around in that tunnel. Ah, right. <laughs> and okay, I so want to like, or or when I'm, when I'm have feeling- Have a wander around. It's a great place. When I'm feeling low, that's what I want to do. But I right. know for me, and again, specifically work. just for me, I'm not, I'm not saying this is going to definitely be true for anybody else, but yeah. for me- that's dangerous and that is actually ultimately unproductive and unhelpful. So I can, yeah. I can go, I can get on the train that's going through the tunnel, but I need to stay on the train. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a funny thing because I think some of the things that you don't want to happen while you're in that dark place is that kind of stasis, that feeling of being stuck and it having some negative implications on your life. Whereas I think I am arguably to an extent still in that dark place and it has had negative implications on my life and I have got stuck there and I have been in stasis, I guess, for the last couple of years. But because I think it's something that I have just tried to just sort of bat away a lot. Is that something that you 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 familiar with? Just sort of just like brushing it to one side, sweeping it under the rug? Sweeping it under the rug. No. And that's my problem. That's why I say I need to stay on the train. Going to get into so many mixed metaphors here. Sorry. But, but because it's my... Like Jonathan Van Tam on steroids. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, no, because my natural inclination is to not bat it away, but to grab it and hold it and like inspect every single molecule of it. <laughs> I need to learn to bat it away a little bit. Right. See, this is the fascinating thing about having a conversation about this because, you know, you get into the, the sort of the inner workings of what it's like living with these things. Yeah. You know? And I find it really interesting that some people just can't relate to these, these stories or these metaphors at all. I find that not balmy, but... Uh, Yeah, I find it fascinating. Can I ask you a question? Yeah, go on. Would you say you're depressed? Would you say, like, as a status, Mm. would you say you go through periods of depression? Like, how would you characterise your mental health? Yeah, I don't really like labels. So I don't really like to say, even if at times I probably could have gone to a doctor and been diagnosed with clinical depression. Now, for me, yeah, maybe that works for other people. It's great. But for me, I don't really like labels. I don't, you know, I'm diabetic, obviously. So you could argue that that I could just transfer that label. But I don't really feel that it it helps me because, yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to come across giving the wrong advice. This is not advice at all, and I don't want to come across as like negative to anybody who's going through this. But I think for me, and it's going to sound a bit weird, depression is is more often than not a choice, and. It's something where I might not have as, as much control over over it as, as I would like, but it's something where I know that I need to be depressed for a little bit. I need to be sad for a little bit. I need to be whatever it is. Sometimes it's I can't really even explain what's going on. I just don't feel 100%. And for me, having an explanation or having a label or saying it was because of this, it's because of that, I try to look at as many situations as I can in a neutral way. It's difficult, obviously, that's easy said than done. But I try and, obviously, there are some that are objectively 
worse than others and better than others but I try and look at everything in a neutral boat and then have control over my attitude around that situation and and believe that I have control of my attitude around that situation it is not something that I've huge I've been hugely successful <laughs> with but I'm working on it and I I can get into the point where I think I'm seeing situations more neutrally however it's it's then dealing with my attitude in those moments and that's what sometimes being depressed is about it's developing an understanding a literacy of myself mm. and rather like a computer doing an update you know it's something it's doing some work that you can't really see but it's it's switched off you know that's pretty much where I am I, I think that's probably what mental health looks like you know the volume knobs come down I I retreat I dampened myself let, let's say I'm not on fire mm. and I don't see that as a negative thing whereas I think some people would say okay you know mate I listened to your podcast last week where you couldn't get you you know you couldn't get out of bed for best part of three months wanted to top yourself and then uh you haven't worked for two years like what's wrong with you that doesn't sound positive at all right whereas I just say no I mean it's it is what it is mm. and, it, and it sounds like when you talk about it being a choice in it, is it that you are sort of happy to lean into it yeah I think that's something that I've really had to do um because yeah like I said I, I have swept it under the rug before and um, where it's just uh, it will be okay it'll be okay it'll be okay whereas like well come on man like I think what I'm trying to say is that like a positive attitude is is great but I actually really need to deal it from deal with it with a pragmatic view not like oh everything's rosy it'll be sweet just like no I think it's I think it's like this and I'm feeling like this at the moment I'm not gonna try and dress it up it hasn't always been positive don't get me wrong there's been a load of things that have gone in inverted commas wrong uh, but they're all useful lessons and experiences to go through so I don't mind it I don't begrudge it and that's also why you know I could say the umbilical cord was wrapped around my neck when I was born. So it was, I'm like this because of that. Or my mum and dad were, you know, have gone through depression themselves. So they passed it on to me. Uh, my dad didn't do this. My mum didn't do that. That happened at school or this happened there. Or, And I think we can get ourselves caught up in a lot of circles. I think it's just important just to develop some understanding. Have a look through that window and say, oh, what was going on here? Let's have a little look. There's no blame to be put on anybody but I just want to understand the situation all oh, right yeah so my mum and dad were depressed my dad was depressed he didn't know about it so maybe that was why he did some of those things he didn't do anything that bad um and just ooh. killed a bunch of people yeah exactly yeah went yeah. to prison we don't speak about him. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he didn't he didn't Tony's a lovely man <laughs> yeah he's all right in his own little way he doesn't mean any harm um he doesn't always do things the best way he's listening to this as now so that's good you're right dad and um, yeah, and look at me as well and learn a little bit more about me in that situation. What was I feeling? What were the things that were going through in my head? And some of the things are just completely illogical, don't make any sense. Like, why do you feel that way? Just change it. And obviously that's not, it's not, I definitely, I didn't have any idea about it at the time. And obviously then that condition or that conditioning then plays a part then going forward. And it's about, we can't change the past. I feel it's important to have understanding of the past. That's why I choose to go back there. But I do have the power to change the future. I do have the power to change destiny. 
you know, it's not something where it's like, oh, I, I just suffer with this and there's nothing I can do about it or I have to rely on medication or I have to do this. Does that make sense? It definitely does. I think, I think there are some people who rely on medication and just have to for the rest of their lives. And that's, you know, that's fine. That's what works for them. My sister and I talk a lot about the, the idea that mental health isn't your fault, but it is your responsibility. Every year we have a conference at work and you go away for a few nights and um, you're like in sessions all day and then, you know, meals and stuff in the evening. And it's always a lot of fun, but I always find it so anxiety inducing. And last year, I remember asking for the schedule because one of the things that helps me with my anxiety is, is knowing what's coming, um, partly just to know, because that makes me feel safe, but also so I can plan like, okay, here's when I, I will do some yoga or here's when I'll go for a run or here's when I'll like go to, back to my room and just have 10 minutes by myself or whatever. And I asked for the program and the organizer said, um, no, we want it to be a surprise. And I went back and I said, look, I, I need, I need to know for my mental health. A surprise for? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think they had some, it was a bit stupid. I think it was like a little power thing. Anyway, I am responsible for my mental health. I know what I need. I need to know what the program is. You know, I'm not, I can't leave my mental health up to an organizer. So, so for you, you need the, the preparation, you need to know what's coming up, right? Yeah. It's interesting, actually, that is something that I've noticed about myself. If there's a situation that I feel anxious about, I get overly invested in the logistics and that's what I run over and over in my mind. So, for example, if I have a job interview, which I haven't had for a good few years now, but um, because I have a job that I love, not because I'm unemployable. Um, Cheers, Becca. <laughs> I am unemployable. Before You're not unemployable. Uh, emails in. I wouldn't hire me. <laughs> what? That's a whole other subject. <laughs> Um, Sorry, I'm ruining your story. You really are. <laughs> Selfish. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so for a job interview, I will go over and over, right, I'm going to get up at this time. This is what I'm going to wear. This is the time that I need to leave for the, the train. Yeah, and I and I, those are the things that I go over and over. And I think, yeah, just having the plan gives me something to anchor into. Yeah, it's like um, an athlete preparing for a race, isn't it? Yeah. I'm really appreciating having this conversation, partly because it's good to get into deep things. And this is, you know, the anxiety, especially is something that I still kind of am managing and learning to manage. But also I think that I'm really aware that specifically being depressed, especially kind of in early 20s, teens and early 20s, really negatively affected some of my friendships. And I feel like, I feel like I've let a lot of my friends down over the years in various ways because of my mental health. And I haven't had the language or the literacy, as you were saying, to know that that's what it was or to know how to manage myself so I didn't let them down. Yeah. Do you want to explain a little bit more about that? Maybe talk about, is there a particular situation that you can remember where you feel like you let someone down? I think before I really understood myself properly, I would flake on stuff. A lot more than I do now. Obviously, there's nothing to flake on right now. But flake as in, things. I would drop out of plans quite last minute because right. I couldn't cope because I could not cope with leaving the house or I couldn't cope with that much interaction. But I didn't know that that's what I was doing. I was always very optimistic, you know, and I was always like making plans, making plans. And then a few things I had to either drop out of or, or sort of go home early or abscond last minute because I couldn't handle it. Did people talk to you about it and say, oh, fucking hell, Becca, like, why did you have, what, you know, you flaked out at the last minute. That's really irresponsible behaviours. Or did, you know, did anybody bring this up? Yeah. So because they brought it up, you felt that you were letting them down. I already felt like I was letting them down. I already felt shit. And then, and then that was confirmed <laughs> later on. 
Um, well, it might have been confirmed only because they they had no explanation. Potentially, yeah. Mm. Would it be helpful though, even in the same, even if you got yourself into that situation, explaining it at the time? Is that something you feel might help? Yes, and actually, I have done that a couple of times, and I do. I that is helpful. Mm. And how have your friends dealt with that? I think this is the difficult thing with anxiety and I think probably with depression as well, is that sometimes it just looks like rudeness. Sometimes it just looks like being a dick. And you're like, to my experience anyway, I'm like, I, I so don't want to be this person, but I can't break through it. Um, I, I'm not trying to be rude. I don't want to be rude, but I just can't do this thing right now. Mm. And that's why I think it's helpful to talk about this now, because I think... When you said, am I open about this? I'm open about how I feel now. And I'm open about being anxious now, much more so than I ever have been. I'm not open and I've never had the conversation about historic stuff because it feels like I was just a dick for 10 years to all my friends. And I've never, I've no idea what they would say. They're probably quite kind <laughs> and say, no, you weren't, but, or you had moments of it, but not the whole time. Um, but I've never kind of either apologized or like um, had any kind of, um, what's the word, um, absolution from that. So I still feel guilty about that. Yeah. Going and dealing with these things, is that something that you've, you've moved forward from or is it something that you, you still think is impacting you in the background today? Yeah, I think it is still there a little bit. I think there's still a bit of guilt and a bit of shame around certain people um, from years ago, from years back. And the thing that helps is when people sort of off the cuff say stuff that makes me realise, oh, they're not thinking about this as much as I am, or this doesn't play into their view of me. And I have this narrative that's in my head about what other people are thinking about me because of all of that stuff. And yeah, occasionally like an accidental thing, someone will say something kind or whatever and I'm like oh okay no it's fine they, they don't think I'm an idiot yeah if anybody brings these things up like just now yeah is it stuff that you find quite difficult to to go back to yeah I really do I really do because I do feel so much shame about it yeah and I feel terrible about a lot of things that I've I've done said and done yeah said as well probably probably who have you been slagging off Becca <laughs> you behind <laughs> your back yeah, well, that's fine. <laughs> I've actually got another podcast that's called <laughs> Buzz is an Idiot. <laughs> Do you feel like you've got identifiable triggers that you're aware of? Um, that's a good question, that. Yeah, because that's the thing, isn't it? It's the, uh, it's, the, it's the lack of awareness that one, not just you, me, everybody, might have around a certain situation, the triggers that they don't necessarily they don't have any knowledge of. Um, so it's, it's good to examine those. I guess. Yeah, definitely. I think what it is now is that I know what the reaction is. I know what the reaction feels like. I can think of a time when actually I was, you know, we were talking about pride in, in one's work and you had hired me. I don't know what, what possessed you <laughs> uh, to take some photos for an event that you were, you were organising which is very kind of you uh but i just thought oh my fuck and um <laughs> got off the tube and i i just started going up the steps and i i just just felt 
dizzy. And I think actually because that used to be the steps that I used to walk up to go and work at CNN. Yeah, a similar similar kind of feeling when I was anxious about going in there. And it's like I could feel it rising. And so at that point, it was obviously the trigger of all sorts of stuff, right? But uh, I knew what the feeling was and that it was something, it was a reaction, if that makes sense. So I know the result of the trigger. And at that point, I got out of the tube stations like, my goodness, can't. And then it is sort of just descending over you where that it's like, suddenly it's like a straight jacket and you can't get out of it. That's how it felt at the time. So I just thought, right, okay, take some time to, to ground, feel my feet on the floor, take a couple of deep breaths. Let's go and get some food, sit down and then try and play through what's going on. What am I feeling? The sensation. Okay, I've got a knot in my stomach. I've got sweats, the, the tingly feeling in your, in your arms, feeling a little bit shaky. Okay, that's how I'm feeling. You just need to sit and just recognize that that's going on. And then to say, right, what, is, what, is the, what are the causes? What, what is the cause? Okay, what's happening? I've got up the tube. Okay, maybe it was the CNN thing. Maybe it was a hangover from that. Maybe I'm a bit nervous about what I'm going to do. I don't want to let my friends down. I'm in a public realm where more than my friend is going to be seeing me do my thing. Uh, do I have enough skills? Am I worried about this? Am I worried about that? And then to start talking about those with myself, if that makes sense. And it's just, yeah, in that moment, I could just put an arm around the shoulder and just say, okay, look, this is what's going on. And you, if you feel that way, nothing I can't do about it. It's, you know, I can't take that feeling away. You feel it, but you have to kind of manage it and own it essentially and go there and sit with that feeling and go, that's what I'm feeling. Admit it. Don't try and put it to one side because it comes back stronger. Just try and work with it. And in the end, I got to that point where I was still like physically nervous and I didn't want to bring that into your world because you're like, well, far out, man. I've got this event to organize and I don't want to have to deal with your anxiety when you come in here like you know I hired you because I think you can do it so just get on and do it don't complain to me that's what was going through my head and um, that's absolutely what I was thinking as well yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah like and then um when you get on that roller coaster and you're in it and it's like it's terrifying you can't get off you have to ride it through so that's exactly what happened mm. even if you completely fuck it up like who's died no one you haven't gone out and killed anybody you haven't been irresponsible you did your best everyone's doing their best becca will accept that you did your best but the photos aren't very good she won't hire you again no problem it doesn't really matter does it that's the bit where i'm talking about like with the train going through the tunnel it's like that's the bit where i like to uh exposure therapy i guess go through that kind of that process because if you hide away from it then and i'm not saying that it's you know whatever it is it's horses for courses we discussed this before you know what works for you doesn't work for me etc etc vice versa but yeah i need to sort of have a look around there so i know what it's like i know what that feels like do you, does that make sense yeah for sure for sure I, I, one of the nice things in what you just said is something that came up a bit in some of the um i think in some of the cbt that i've done or some some of the mindfulness work that i've done around the idea of meeting yourself with compassion and and not necessarily like you said not trying to like change it or tell yourself that you're wrong or, yeah. or try and drag yourself out of it, but to just be with yourself in a compassionate state, um, yeah. which it sounded like you were able to do. Yeah, dead right. And I haven't always been able to do that. I think the pain has been, yeah, so intense sometimes that I, you know, I, it's very, very difficult to, to deal with. You can't, 
I think that's probably what we agree on is that you can't really snap yourself out of the pain and it's you can tell yourself all you like that you are constructing the pain in your head that's literally what's happening um so you can stop that whenever you wish that's how people can walk over hot coals and stuff you know when I had when I was going through the recovery from with my leg stuff you know 18 months with the cage on my leg intense pain like I I know I can't overcome that pain I can't beat it it's going to beat me so I have to work with it instead and so whenever I felt pain I didn't try to take loads of painkillers and you know just pretend it isn't there I, like I just just felt pain mm-hmm. I think going through that process is quite good I feel good feeling pain because it's like ah you know people say when they're training for an event or whatever it's like oh you have to go through no pain no gain kind of thing it's a bit like that and uh sometimes it's overwhelming and of course you know you take diazepam or whatever but or antidepressants uh which i can understand no problem with that um but yeah there's something really freeing experiencing pain Mm. doesn't help for everybody especially if you've if you've got a full-time job it's all right when you've got you know you're uh, a kept man. <laughs> when exactly. When you're a kept man and, you know, you just pick up the odd bit here and there, then it's fine. I do have to say, for the record, that they were excellent photos and you made a film at the same time. And my creative director to this day is like, how did he do that? It's amazing. He did both at the same time. So just for the record, excellent work. Yeah. Um, the second Email. Thing- <laughs> uh, we are positively <laughs> Um, yeah, the second thing that you just reminded me of in that is, uh, with a throwaway word is that hangovers is when I get really anxious as well. Oh, right, yeah. Um, Beer guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Big time. And which I know is a mm, relatively common experience, but, um, yeah, it just made me think actually. Yeah. Well, that's quite interesting because you, I'm going to tell you what you're feeling here. Becca. I'm going to psychoanalyze you, but that, that feeling that you've done something wrong. Mm. And of course, like the beer is like, oh, fuck, your inhibitions have been lowered. So you haven't put up that natural barrier of containing, you know, your loose cannon self, which goes around just causing destruction and offense to to everybody who comes into contact with you. So and you're like, oh, shit, how did I let myself go like that? And then, of course, yeah, I will. Well, of course, I would have pissed somebody off. Of course, I would have overreacted to something. Of course, I came across like a like a dickhead. I mean, that's probably true 99% of the time, but that 1% of the time, you know, it might not have been like that. Brilliant. feels so much better. <laughs> no, but it is true though. Like it's, that's all in your head, isn't it? And that's what a lot of people, when they're listening to this, they may say, oh, it's all in your head, get over it. Yeah. They may also ring me up with a detailed itinerary of times when I've <laughs> done something to upset them. What do you say to people though, to say just get out of bed, just get on with it, get on with life. Life is shit, life is full of suffering, you just got to get on with it. It's just no point there sitting there unhappy with stuff. Potentially this is where drawing the parallel with physical health can be helpful because you would never say that to somebody who'd broken their leg. You wouldn't be like, well, just walk, walk it off, walk it off, you'll be fine. People did say that to me. Well, I'm My sure. My physiotherapist included is like, we've got the frame, you can walk. Anyway, carry on. Okay, well, maybe that's <laughs> different anyway. Um, well, well, no, it isn't different because yes, I could walk. I didn't feel like I could. And that's, that's the distinction because yes, you can get out of bed. Sometimes you don't feel like you can. I mean, to a certain extent, I would also just be like, what's it to you? (laughs) I think everyone's on their own journey and, and every, and even in, even in this, this conversation, we are two people who have both experienced something that we would label depression or anxiety. And, um, we're relatively similar in, in 
some other ways. But on this, we have very different experiences and very different, not very different, but we do have different things that work for us. So I also am just a bit like, well, you could, you can't, you can't know what someone else's journey is and you can't judge it. You, you, you have to take people at their word. And if they're saying, I have a mental health problem and I need this help, you kind of just have to not be a dick yeah, <laughs> and right. just take them at their word. Some people vote red, some people vote blue. It's like, well, that's just the way that it is, isn't it? Yeah. But we have to have compassion for both. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Self-blame and self-hatred, right? That's something that we're both experienced. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can definitely say that's true for me. And it sounds like that's true for you as well. Yeah. How do we, how do we solve that then? Or, well, how did you, <laughs> you solve it? My sister's always saying to me, you being nice to yourself, you know, don't, don't speak to yourself in the way that you wouldn't. She uses, she and I both sometimes use our youngest sister because our youngest sister is, um. Perfect. <laughs> well, we both, because, she, because she's younger, I definitely have like a slightly more maternal inst instinct towards her and like, she's, she's joyful. She's brilliant. So we say, me and my other sister say to each other, if you wouldn't say it to Alice, don't say it to yourself. Right. Like you need to love yourself as much as you love Alice. Not that we don't love each other as much as we, this is all going a bit weird, but anyway, basically, um, if you wouldn't say it to someone else you love, don't say it to yourself, essentially. Yes. Which is much easier said than done, but I think it's a helpful, helpful stick to come back to, helpful measuring stick to come back to. This nature versus nurture debate. Yeah, there maybe there's some stuff you're born with, but a lot of the stuff pick up. You know, my, when my dad's calling himself a cretin or you prat or you, <laughs> you idiot. And then I just think, all right, well, that's obviously how you speak to yourself then. It must be, right? Yeah. And so then you say that to yourself, you're like, well, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah. Why are you so angry at yourself for forgetting your keys or something? It's like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, that feeling for you where you feel like you've done something wrong. It's like, well, oh, Jesus Christ, like, why are we so hard on ourselves half the time? I don't know why that is. I think partly for me, it's a self-defense mechanism. Because if I'm angry with myself first, it doesn't matter if someone else is then angry with me. Or if I've said the harshest thing ah. to myself, then... No, no one else can criticize me because I've already done it. So you, in a way, you're you're, you're making yourself beyond reproach because you've already done it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, fully. That's true. I think I think I can relate to that actually. Uh, no wonder we're both depressed. <laughs> <laughs> what an awful place to be. <laughs> <laughs> well, our own minds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if you're like some of my friends who who just generally think they're beyond reproach all the time, then they don't, funnily enough, they don't suffer with any kind of depression. <laughs> now I know why, that's what it is. Yeah, you just have to just think that you're perfect. What must that be like? Do you think that, I mean, there are some people who, who do think that. Undoubtedly. Donald Trump. I, I'd love to go behind the scenes, like whether he actually just goes, Donald, you fucking idiot. Like that <laughs> thing that you did in front of us. <laughs> I genuinely don't think he does. No, I, I really don't think he does. I think I would rather be depressed than be Donald Trump, though. Donald Trump has made a lot of money. He's good at building. I don't know if he's told you that. He's really, really good at building. <laughs> his and... accounts say otherwise, but sure. <laughs> and he's been president of the United States. That's undeniable. So I think he's just a little bit more successful than you, Becca. <laughs> All right. I'd like to think fewer people hate me. Ooh. Yes, Mainly because I, I haven't so. met as many people. Not as many people know who I am. <laughs> so yeah. I've got some anonymity there that's protecting me. But Well, not anymore. Not anymore, yeah. Yeah, I mean, what do you want people to leave this podcast with? What feelings do you want them to sort of go away with? 
for the general audience, yeah, I think a little bit of awareness if it's something that people haven't struggled with. Because apart from anything else, it's something that you and I think about a lot and it takes up a lot. It For me anyway, it takes up a lot of my mental energy is keeping myself balanced. And I think if you don't have that, you, you don't necessarily have the awareness of just how tired, <laughs> tiring it can be or, or, you know, that people are dealing with stuff. I think that's the thing. And, and we've said this before, like you just, you never know what other people are dealing with. And so yeah. really the best thing is to just be kind. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, I think the biggest thing I would like people to get away with is that we are two people who have gone through our own individual journeys, lots of different reasons. Some are similar, some are dissimilar. And we have completely different ways and means and methods and prognoses and manifests itself in different ways. And yeah, that there is no bit of advice or method or course of action or anything that can be applied in anybody's situation because it's all individual. And uh, it's just quite interesting to, uh, to, to actually get into the weeds of things mm. and to mm -hmm. say, talk about a little bit about why and how, but let's have a conversation about it so we can learn more rather than just sort of sweeping yeah. under the rug. A lot of the time, anxiety and depression, I think especially depression can feel desperately lonely and you can feel mm. super isolated and super cut off. And so it's a bit like we talked about this with shame as well. When you feel shame, you can feel really lonely and really isolated. And sometimes the best thing, or not the best thing, sometimes a helpful thing is to have been able to speak about it and to, to, to have like have the dog come and sit with you, like have a friend just be there in it with you. Um, and yeah, being able to talk about it more, I think is in itself helpful. Cool. Well, that's uh, all helpful stuff. I think it's probably a nice place to bring it to a close. Anything uh, that we need to mention before we go? Send us your voice notes, your emails about yes. uh, your weird habits. The weirder, the better. Also the mundane ones. I quite like some of the mundane ones. Weird habits. Send weird us your habits. weird habits. Sending, send in your weird habits. Uh, reminder, you can leave us a voice note, which would be nice because then we can include those actually. Yeah, that would be nice. Just yeah, follow the link. If you're up for being the on the on the pod, leave us a voice note. Who wouldn't want to be? Who wouldn't? And you can email us as well. Under the rug at wearepositivelycreative.com. Under the rug, under the rug at wearepositivelycreative.com. And is there anything else? I think that's it. I think that's it. Thank Have you for listening. Week. Oh, we said those at thank the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Do it again. You go first. Have a good week. And thank you for listening. Bye bye. bye. As always, thanks for listening. And of course, uh, all of the resources used for this episode. And if you require any more information, just check the show notes. We'll put some links down there for you. See you next week. Ta-da.